0: I can say this now that back in 1989, uh, 30 years ago, I was in my probably eighth or ninth month of knowing the Lord. I had just come back from a camp called Camp Spotford up in New Hampshire. And as I mentioned before, It's like Rocky Balboa going to camp. I've never known anything about camp. And I can assure you of that. I have stories, and you can laugh at me all day. If if you can imagine last week when I said something about the cars being abandoned on the side of the road going up to, you know, upside of New Jersey and Pennsylvania, you can't imagine what it would have been like for Bruno to go to camp. In fact, that would be a cool video to laugh at. But... Uh, Back then, when I was leaving, uh, I was there for the summer, and I left around November of 1989. That's where I got to know my mentor, Jim Hertzler. He was the uh, administrator of the camp. I returned home. And this was new for my family as well. And when I returned home, I didn't have a job. And I I can assure to you and tell you that growing up in my home, if you didn't have a job, you were not valuable. You were worth pretty much nothing. Um, and so I had to go home without a job, uh, 21 years old, and didn't know what I was going to do with my life. But there was one option that I had that God presented to me. I applied to Philadelphia College of Bible, which is now Karen University, but I needed to get money in order to start off college for 1990 fall. So I thought, okay, Lord, it's going to take a couple of months for me, maybe a month to get a job. Well, December came, no job. January came, no job. February came, there was just no job. I couldn't find anything. I was scrimping and trying to find any work, anything, to, to find work, and it just wasn't working for me. I recall opening up the refrigerated door, and my father would yell at me saying, you paying for that, you better shut that door, it costs too much money, there's electricity. My mom, would, they would argue over whether or not I can grab food from the house because my father saw both of my brothers struggling with addiction and thought I was falling into that same trap. So I was was to a place of true vulnerability. I didn't even understand what it meant because at that point I was so high on for Jesus that I never thought anything could go bad. And God was allowing me to struggle in order for me to find out that I needed to find strength in him. I recall of a time uh, when even in February the Lord started to speak to me and challenge me. And I thought, well, Lord, I'm innocent here. I'm not doing anything wrong. I just want to serve you. And I didn't know if Bible college would ever come about. But I'll share that end of the story uh, to you at the end of the sermon. But it was, it was a vulnerable place. And I, and I asked this question as we've been going through, um, you know, some of the stuff that we were working through. Is that in this worship series called Holy Ambition, we were talking first about God being a God who is big in vision. We need to see God bigger. We can't just compartmentalize him into 15 minutes on a Sunday morning. We need to see him bigger. And so we talked about that in the first week, about God being set as a standard of holiness. And we talked about God being our satisfaction and God being our secret hiding place. And then last week, we talked about the value of forgiveness, of God's forgiveness to us in Christ, and about the value of understanding that in his forgiveness, we too can forgive others, but more or less love others well. And that we can then live a life that is a life with a holy ambition to reach those who are far away. Those who need to be forgiven. Those who need to know the love of Christ. Similarly to what you saw in Operation Christmas Child. It's the spirit of God moving in a mighty way. I want to challenge you this morning. Just as Pastor Dennis and Amy are challenging you. I want to challenge you to believe God for one box for every person in your household. Every year, my wife and I believe and trust God for one person in each box to represent one person in our household. I have six, and we trust God, and we fill it up, and we believe God, and every year, he's done an amazing thing. We have seen God's hand, because we know that's the only present they're ever gonna open up all year long. Could God not do something like that? So I wanna encourage us, That we would be a people, a holy ambition, passionate to reach those who are far away from God, to think beyond ourselves. And see, today I wanted to talk about vulnerability, because through vulnerability, God wants to bring us to vitality, to strength and passion and energy, to draw close to him. So I asked this question this morning, what does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it mean to be vulnerable? Help. (laughs) Can you guys help? It's not working. There we go. Okay. Hold on there. What does it mean to be vulnerable? Um, And the the question comes down to this, if that's that question, the answer is this, the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed either physically or emotionally. Now, um, many of us may say, I'm not being attacked physically. But am I being attacked emotionally? Am I in a place of vulnerability? I mean, that's something. And then if when we are vulnerable, should we speak up or hide? Meaning, should we share it with someone? Or should we isolate ourselves and say, no, I don't want to share with people that I'm weak. I don't want to share that I'm struggling with something. I think I'll just keep that in and just isolate myself. I don't want to burden anyone. I can understand that. But is it possible that God brings us to a place to where he wants us to share that? Because sometimes we have to understand is that people today are in a vulnerable state, in true isolation, falling into depression, attempting suicide at every rate. More people are insecure, have low self-esteem, and are feeling out of control because there's more pressure to succeed in a quick-paced society. And the expectations are high, and the level of success continues to become more difficult to achieve. And so when I thought about the word vulnerability, bullying came to mind. I thought of, you know, today's cyberbullying, social bullying, physical, verbal bullying. Have you ever been bullied in your life? Has your parent ever bullied you? If you're a spouse, has your husband ever bullied you? Have your children ever bullied you? Fortunately, years ago, we did some bullying, but it wasn't noted as much as it is today. We didn't have internet and social media to indicate every time there was a situation that was, someone was bullied. Today, it's, it's high-written. Well, there's a, there's a story in a movie that was gut-wrenching and, and kind, of, kind of moving in a way. Uh, it's entitled Wonder. Um, it's about a story of a young man, a uh, young boy... His name was Augie, August Pullman. He was 10 years old, living in Brooklyn, New York, with a mother and a father and a sister. He had a rare disease, a rare medical facial deformity. And he, he went under, he was born with it. and he, he was undergoing 27 different surgeries as a result on his face. And uh, Augie had been homeschooled, But as he approached fifth grade, his parents wanted him to be enrolled in a private prep school. And so before school began, the principal of that school took him on a tour. There's a movie here and I wanna share that clip with you.
1: Nate, do you know where his helmet is? He's asking for it and I've looked everywhere. I don't know, something at school he won't say, he won't come out of his room, and now he says he doesn't even want to go trick-or-treating.
0: I know. Okay.
1: Thank you. Just get here.
2: Come on, get ready. It's almost time for the Halloween parade.
1: You're supposed to
2: knock. Mom says you won't say what happened. Did someone say something?
1: Someone always says something!
2: Well, tell me what happened.
1: It's none of your business!
2: You took my day with Mom, so it is my business.
1: I heard Jack Will talking about me behind my back. He said he'd kill himself if he looked like me.
2: Jack Will? Isn't he the nice one?
1: There are no nice ones! I wish I'd never gone to school in the first place.
2: But you were liking school. I know you were. I hate
1: it, okay? I hate it!
2: Augie, I'm sorry, but you're not the only one who has bad days. Bad days? Do people avoid touching you?
1: When a person accidentally touches you, do they call it the plague? No. Jack was all I had. Just don't. Compare your bad days at school to mine, okay?
2: Okay. Hey. Did you notice that Miranda doesn't come around anymore? What? You didn't. Shocker. Yeah, she went away to camp this summer, and now she doesn't like me anymore. Why? Because school sucks. And people change. So if you want to be a normal kid, Augie, then those are the rules. So let's go trick-or-treating, okay? Because right now, we're each other's best friends. Really? Yes. So come on. I'll let you have all my Halloween candy.
0: You know, if uh, we understand what bullying does, we think that even as adults, we may not be involved in bullying. But let me just share some stats with you uh, that, that's uh, intriguing. It says, in the US, one of five students ages 12 to 18 have been bullied during the school year. Approximately 160,000 teens have skipped school because of bullying. The most common reported type of bullying is verbal harassment 79 percent, followed by social harassment 50 percent, physical bullying 29 percent, and cyberbullying 25 percent. You know, um, one of the things that we have to keep reminding ourselves is what constitutes bullying? Could gossip do that? Do you know gossip is considered bullying? Um, I read an article that said this. It said, gossip is a way of avoiding responsibility for one's feelings. And it can be used by someone with a lower self-image as a way to connect with others and feel better about oneself, but at the expense of another. Bullies choose gossip as a tactic many times. Why? It's so much easier than facing their own lack. People gossip to connect. Is it right to gossip if it becomes at the expense of another? See, that's why I asked this additional question What about bullying? How should someone respond? You know, and, you know, I like Augie because Augie had some fun in the movie. Some would think you'd have to respond by speaking out, shouting on, saying, Stop, leave me alone. There are no nice people. But he found a safe place to talk to his sister. But now this school scene that's coming up here, he's being led and directed by his peers and one particular peer is what we call bullying. But it's kind bullying, as we would call it. Kind, because he's asking questions. So I just wanna share Wow, This this
1: reminds me of my guest spot on Law & Order. So, the science elective is supposed to be really hard. So you probably won't be spending much time here. No offense, but if you've never been in a real school before. Dude, he's been homeschooled. Okay, I'm just saying. Science is supposedly really hard. But you're taking it too, right? (laughs) Hey, maybe you could fail together. Why don't you get out of the way so we can check it out? Okay. I mean, there's nothing much to see. Desks, chairs, the incubator, bunch of murders. Those are some really gross science posters. Oh, and this is an eraser. He knows what an eraser is. How am I supposed to know what he knows? He doesn't say anything. You know what an eraser is, right? Dude, you have to say something. Yeah, I know what an eraser is. Is your name Jack or Jack Will? (laughs) Wait, you thought his name was Jack Will? Yeah, a lot of people (laughs) call me by my first and last name. I don't know why. I any other questions? Actually, I've got a question for Auggie. What's the deal with your face? Dude, I mean, were you in a car crash or something? Julian! What? Tushman said we could ask questions if we wanted to. Not rude questions. Besides, he was born like that, Mr. Tushman said. Yeah, I know. I just thought maybe he was, like, in a fire, too. Hey, Julian, shut up. You shut up! Why don't we all shut up? No, I wasn't in a fire and the word supposedly. What? You said that science is supposedly really hard. Twice. The word supposedly with a D. Maybe my mom can homeschool you too.
0: Dude. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, one for Augie there. I love that um, because he kindly responded. He didn't keep it in. He responded. See, when we are in a vulnerable place in our lives, how are we how are we tempted to react? And so I want us to look at the scriptures today and look at the life of David uh, in First Samuel. Would you turn with me to First Samuel 18? Because we have to build the narrative here and understanding. that Saul was a bully against David. Did you ever see it that way? Saul was bullying David in his earlier years. And as we look at 1 Samuel 18 and 19, we're going to go to Psalm 59 as well. So be ready to start moving your pages around. And you'll have some scripture here. But as I ask that question, how are we tempted? Sometimes we're tempted to blame others when we're feeling vulnerable. I mean, Saul was threatened by David's success. Remember, Saul slain the thousands but David slain the tens of thousands. And and Saul understood because he was the king but he was being removed. And we know that from chapters 13 and 15 that God already removed him. But that he was playing out the narrative and we understand too that Saul was making some highlight. Look with me to first Samuel 18, verses 8 through 10. I just want to read this to you. It says, And Saul was very angry after that statement of the thousands and ten thousands. And this saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, as to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can we have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Then the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul. And he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand. He was blaming him for his distress, for his jealousy, for his anger. He was struggling because he understood that, hey, you know what? I'm being threatened right now. People, David is threatening my throne. He didn't understand. See, Saul, his mind was playing tricks on him. Because we understand and we see throughout his narrative, his life, that he thought as though God still had him on the throne, that he would continue, and that God had forgotten about his sin. But God was planning for David to come in place. And so David understood that. He knew he was called and anointed by God through Samuel. Sometimes I think of it in our lives, too. When we think about children, when we think about relationships, we think about marriages, you know, sometimes... Our, children's make mis- our children make mistakes, and when we're tired and we don't want to deal with them and we're, we're exhausted, we react. We lose just our cool for a moment. We respond inappropriately. Now, mind you, I'm not referring to the fact that you might blurt out a curse word or something, but what I'm saying is that we lose our cool. We, get a, we have a temper. We start to raise our voices. We start to actually say out their full name. Bruno, Raffaele, John come here. You know, it's like, wow. You know, it's like all of a sudden you're just like moved by that. Or say a father or, or you know, husband or wife or someone's coming home and they've had a difficult day at work. And often we react on our spouses when we have a difficult day. If our house isn't clean, kids need help with a project, or something wasn't done and you've asked your wife or your husband to do it, all of a sudden now we start to react. We all fail in that area. We have our moments, but we tend to lean toward blaming. And children, if you have some children here, you have a tough day at school, you struggle, you didn't accomplish your task, you had a bad grade, you don't want to talk about it. Mom and dad wondering how things are going. By the way, I like Maryland because they send you your grades of your children so you can keep up on them. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you know, you're sitting there and you're having this back and forth with your kid. And then just walk away and disrespect you. I mean, there's every time you want to blame, oh, my parents are weird. Oh man, they're just so strict. They're so, you know, they gotta get on my case about everything. Well lo and behold, it's not that. We're just trying to ask the question to start a relationship of some sort and a conversation. See, that's what happens when we feel vulnerable. We tend, we can be blaming people. Secondly, just like David, he was making or Saul was making excuses about David, sometimes we can make excuses. I mean, Saul tried to kill David with the spear two other times, and he would excuse it by saying that the Lord was with him. I mean, if you look again at verse Samuel 18, you see that in verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of 1000. Meaning Saul said, "You know what? I can't stand him. I want to kill him. I want to send him out and hopefully if he gets sent out, people won't see that he's really that great that he really doesn't slay the 10,000s and you know what, hopefully maybe even so he can get killed." See, David was coming up or Saul was coming up with every excuse to try to get David out of his way. He didn't want David there because he felt threatened. He was angry and jealous. And so he was making excuses and ways in which he can get him out of his way. And lo and behold, he tried so often, even in verses prior, to try to kill him with a spear. But it didn't work. God would allow him to escape. And yet God would bless David even through all of this. Third, he took matters into his own hands. Similar to what we could... Look with me to verse 18, or, uh, chapter 18, verse 25. He tried to take matters into his own hands. As we see, it said, "Then Saul, thus shall you shall you say to David, "The king desires no bride, price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of his king's enemies." See, David or Saul wanted to bring David in as a son-in-law to control him. So the first daughter didn't work out. She found someone else. So then Michal became the next person in line. And so behold, he says, you know what? Let me see if I can get rid of him in this way. I'll send him out to have, to, just to conquer a 100 Philistines. So then the Philistines can come after him. So then he'd be in trouble with the Philistines. And hopefully when he goes out there, he might even be killed. So let me just try to make this up and see if I can plan this out to have him killed. So in verse 26, he says, when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time it expired, David arose and went along with his men and killing 200 of the Philistines. So he didn't just kill 100, he killed 200. And David brought their foreskins, which was given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. Verse 28, but when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continually. And then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and so often as they did, out of David had more success over the servants of Saul so that his name was highly esteemed. So his plan in his own mind was to get rid of him to try to put him out there, to expose him, to say, if I just throw him out there, it's okay because maybe he'll be killed and then he won't be the one who's killing the 10,000s and then I will be esteemed and not him. But he realized he was fighting against God because God had an appointment on David's life. God anointed and appointed David for a purpose and that was the beauty of God. That was the beauty of God. And I think that that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes you just, things get out of hand. Look, I can't, Matters out. Come on, look, look what's happening here this morning. I mean, you know, I, I can't, I, it's, it's crazy. But lo and behold, what happens is we have to understand that in everything when we're feeling vulnerable, we try to take matters into our own hands. So, what we have to do is we have to understand this. As we look at this, we have to look at the life in chapter 19. Let's just look at 19 for just a moment. Verse Samuel. 19, 1 through 5. You'll see it on the screen here. And it says this, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, to all his servants, that they should kill David. So now David is again vulnerable. He's escaping. He's almost been killed three times with a spear. He's running away. I mean, Saul is planning to kill him, and now he he continues. He says, He's my enemy. Continue. I will have him killed. So he talks to Jonathan, and Jonathan in verse 2 says this, he says, Saul's son delighted much in David. In verse 2 it says, and Jonathan told David, my, Saul, my father seeks to kill you, therefore be on guard in the morning, stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to his Saul father and said to him, let not the king sin against his servant David because he has not sinned against you because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand. He took his life in his hand and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for Israel. You saw and rejoiced. And when they used sin, sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause. See, it was quite simple. God rescued David through Jonathan. God rescued David through Don, Jonathan. So if you have your, your message notes there, David was often in vulnerable situation. What did he learn from God? That God is his defender. And look at here, Michal rescues David. Again, in verse 13, it says, Mikael took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat hair in its head and covered it with his, her, his clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to David, he said, he is sick. And then Saul sent the messengers to see David saying, bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when his messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at his head. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal lies and answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So see, God rescues David even through his wife. And then lastly, we see in this chapter that Samuel rescues David. We see it here in this passage that even just to give you a synopsis here, Samuel is there and Saul's men are coming after him. And Saul and his men prophesy. The Spirit of God moves and they begin to prophesy. Saul hears about it. He goes down there as well. He begins to prophesy. And all of a sudden now, through all of that, Samuel then, God uses Samuel to protect David, and David is then able to escape. And so we see that. That's what he learned. That's what he saw. And that's what we have to understand, that God is his defender. Look with me to Psalm 59. Psalm 59. Look with me there if you could, because this is the parallel passage Psalm 59 is a parallel passage to 1 Samuel 19. We have to build this narrative to understand that he was vulnerable. His life was at risk. He didn't know what to do. And here, in later years, he looks back. Because in the, the heading of the psalm here, whenever you look at a psalm and you're reading it and you're studying it, you have to understand there's always that heading. And that heading indicates that David himself was locked up in his house and Saul was trying to kill him. So this would take back to 1 Samuel 19. As you look at chapter 59, you see the language that David is using when he recognizes that in his vulnerability, he had to look to God to protect him. In vulnerable situations, we're weak. We can't, matters are taken out of our hands and into hands of someone else. But sometimes situations happen where we can't control it. And so what we have to understand is that God needs to protect us in difficult situations. So when you look at verse 1, he says, deliver me from my enemies. Now you might say, you know, I don't have too many enemies, maybe some at work, but you know, I can just kind of get away and escape. Maybe there's a few enemies in my life, maybe there's a family member, maybe there's a neighbor I don't like, I don't even look towards their ways. If they walk out, I hurry up and run into my garage so I don't have to look at them. I mean, there's always some kind of so-called enemy, but God was helping David to understand that either you trust me in this vulnerable state or you escape and try to go in isolationism. And David learned to trust God. Look at the language. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Verse 2, deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. You don't understand in the Hebrew, it's intensification. He starts with enemy in verse 1, part of 1. Then he goes to attack They're attacking me. Protect me from those who rise up against me and attack me. Then he goes, deliver me from evildoers and now save me from those who are bloodthirsty or bloodshed in the Hebrew. So it's intensifying in the language. He was helpless and hopeless, locked in his home, which would be a secure place, ended up being a place where he was cornered. That's why his wife had to let him down through a window and first... Samuel 19, as we see in the storyline, he had had to be rescued by being sent away from his home. And here he was hopeless. He couldn't take matters into his own hands. The king wanted him dead, and the king had the resources to make sure that he would die. He had a whole army with him. But verse 5 says this, You, Lord God of hosts, are the God of Israel. The word hosts is the army. David had God on his side. David had the Lord was with him. David had the God of hosts, the God of the armies of heaven on his side. He was able to depend and call out to God in his vulnerability state. He was able to say, Lord, help me. I need you right now. You have to understand something. When God calls you and I to something, when he calls us out of something, from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light of his son, when he calls us to something, No one is able to remove us from it. No one. When God appoints someone, it's God's doing. Even God appointed Saul for a moment, and David couldn't remove Saul from that position, even though David knew he was called. He could not do it. He knew that if he would try to take matters in his own hands or blame Saul or make excuses about killing him, God would have his way with David. David understood that. And in our lives, we have to do the same. We have to understand that in a vulnerable place, God is calling us to rely on him, not on ourselves. God is calling us in our lives that he's the one who protects us and cares for us because he is with us. Emmanuel, God, is with us. So first, he's our defender. Two, God is our source of strength. As we see this in Psalm 59, we recognize this. Look at at verse 9. It's so clear. David writes this, O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress, my refuge. I will watch for you. It's really, I will wait. For you. Even in verses 16 and 17, which we'll see in a moment, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning, for you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. And he goes on to say this, O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. See, David was learning how to find his strength in the Lord. He was learning to trust in the Lord. A man or a woman who has holy ambition for God needs to know that their strength doesn't come from their abilities, doesn't come from their experience, doesn't come from their intellect, doesn't come from their ability to be able to put a good report together at their job. It doesn't come from them being able to have wisdom in their job. It ultimately comes from God. And we have to learn and trust in God. God will allow us to be in vulnerable situations so that we will depend on him, that we will derive and understand a, a man or a woman of a holy ambition knows that their passion and their energy and their pursuit comes from God, that our strength comes from God. It doesn't come from ourselves. If We want to advance God's kingdom. It can't be from our own strength. It has to be from the Lord. And so we have to be reminded, even as I had a definition a couple of weeks ago, holy ambition is a Christian on a passionate pursuit to know love and serve the Lord with a surrendered heart making him famous through attitudes and actions his glory and honor and praise are due to him see it just it simply made that holy ambition is depending and deriving from our strength from the Lord you know my mentor says this often when I was going through a really tough time and a vulnerable time many Times I don't understand, I shook my head and said, God, I don't see how in the world this makes sense. Why would you allow me to go through this? And he would say to me often when I had to often counsel with him, saying, I want to give up. I've had enough of this. I might also just go back into the secular world. I don't, even, I don't think God's called me anymore. He said, you know, Bruno, he goes, if you can make sense of it, then God's not in it. And it just hit me, and he goes, so if you can't make sense of it, God is definitely in it, and that's the beauty of God. He's the source of our strength. Lastly, he says this, that God is our refuge, God is our refuge. Just look at me here, God is our refuge. And we look at verse nine again, because we see the word, he's strength. He's our strength, meaning he's our power, he's our energy. But then in the last part, he says he's our fortress. ESV says fortress, NESB says stronghold, NET says refuge, NET says defense. See, the word means my elevated place. God is our place where when we're vulnerable, he elevates us in a place where he protects us. He cares for us. He delivers us from difficulty. He retrieves us and helps us to regain our strength back in God. So, what is your vulnerability? Is it finances? Is it a disorder, like Augie? Is it sin in your life that you know about? Is it a person in your life? You just think of this person here, that person's name, and you can't stand them. And it's just something in your life where you're just struggling. Are you looking for an escape? Do you want the problem to go away? Do you want... Are you looking for God to remove the problem, or are you trying to escape from God? (laughs) See, we have to find vitality. We have to find vitality from our vulnerability. And how do we do that? Well, again, we got to go back to verse 9. Verse 9 is a cool verse here in Psalm 59. Because we have to learn that we have to wait on the Lord. That's what David was doing. He was waiting on the Lord. You know the word when it says, I will watch for you? It gives the idea that I am confident and hopeful, God, that whatever I'm going through, you're going to get me out of this. But you're going to get me out of this in your timing. Therefore, I'm going to wait for you that you have what's best for me and best in mind because you are God. You're the God of hosts. You're the El Elyon, the Most High God. And the man or woman of holy ambition looks back to the Lord waiting on him. He's He or she is saying, I am not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm not going to try to make this thing happen in my life. I'm going to wait on the Lord. I'm going to watch for him. In the meantime, I'm going to wait on him, focus on him, worship him, seek and chase after him, hunt after him. And through this difficult time, through this place of vulnerability, through this place I don't get it, through this place where I'm just waiting on the Lord, just like I was in 1989 and many times in my life I was waiting on God. I said, God, I know you have what's best for me. I will trust you. I will wait on you. But it doesn't feel good, but I'll wait on you, Lord, because I know you have something awesome for me, because you know what's best for me. And I can't take matters into my own hands because when I do it, Lord, I mess up. Why? Because we know Saul did that. Chapter 13, he didn't wait on Samuel. He took up a burnt offering, tried to play the role of a priest. He was the king. God said, I regret ever making him king. He tried to take matters into his own hands. God was setting it up saying, "God to remove this man. He's not waiting on me. And then we know he disobeyed in chapter 15. God is already setting up the next man, David. Saul doesn't know, and then what happens? The evil spirit starts to hover around him. The Lord allows for a spirit. Why? Because he was no longer appointed of God. He failed. He disobeyed God. He wasn't waiting. How often are we reminded of Moses on Mount Sinai and the people of Israel down below, and they create a golden image, a calf to worship because they couldn't wait on God through Moses the prophet? Often when we don't wait on God and we want to take matters into our own hands, we fall into a trap. Because the enemy whispers in our minds, he's a bully, and he whispers in our minds and our hearts, and he says, see, God doesn't really love you, wouldn't allow you. What's, what's this about God and being holy and that he really loves you that he would make you wait? What is this that God will withhold from you? Isn't this God who loves you and cares for you that he would withhold from you? And lo and behold, we have to understand that that's the case. Secondly, this. We have to understand that his hesed love is also something that we have to understand, too. When we sing to the Lord, when we sing to God, and we sing praises to him, in verse 16, it says this, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. That word love is hesed. In the Hebrew, it simply means that he's compassionate. He's slow to anger and quick to love and grace and mercy and compassion. And God, when we are vulnerable, we want to fall aside. But God's saying, no, sing of my strength in you. When we experience his love, when we experience his presence, when we experience worship with him, we're going to sing every morning, no matter what the situation is in our lives, no matter how difficult it is, no matter if we feel abandoned, no matter if we think God is, it doesn't care for us anymore, he's not giving me what I want. When we try to set things up, God's saying, no, sing to me during those times. Wait on me and sing to the Lord. David was singing to the Lord. He was singing that God gave him strength through the times when he was supposed to be killed when Saul was after him, pursuing him. That's what we have to understand. God is our deliverer. Lastly, we must praise him. That's where the strength comes from. When you're struggling, when you're going through a difficult time, get on your knees. Praise him. Praise him. (laughs) Lift him up. Think about how awesome he is. Not only is he a deliverer through your struggles, think about the name of God. I mean, think about El Elyon, the most high God. Shout out his name. Rejoice. Tishkanu and Kadesh. Goel, my my shepherder. Goel, my redeemer. Ra'ah. You got to come out. Rafa, my healer. You lift him up. Praise him. Salvation in Jesus. Yeshua, my savior. You lift him up, all of a sudden you forget your problems. You forget your vulnerabilities. You start to find yourself planted in knowing who you are in Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's praising him. Of what? Of his unconditional love for us. You know when it says sing and praise? It's in the imperfect tense in the Hebrew, which means you need to do it Continuously. You need to do it continuously. It's that Hesed love. It's that beautiful love. It's that love that Jesus was willing to die for sinners. Willing to die. You know, I love love what D.L. Moody said about this. He said, God sends no one away empty except those who are full of themselves. I just love it. I love it because it's so true. It's so true. See, at the end of 1990 or February of 1990, I went to a men's retreat, and the Lord began to show me how I needed to find my strength in him, that it wasn't my abilities, it wasn't who I was, it wasn't my talents, it wasn't my giftedness, it wasn't that the Yankees were the best team around, but it wasn't really at that time. But they were building their new empire, and it was just, it wasn't all that. And I needed a job. And I went to, I went to church one day in March, because I surrendered my life to the Lord. I said, Lord, here it is, you got it whatever you want. I went to church in March. One day, I got a job and a car in one day, within 20 minutes. You know, I I mean, it wasn't a Lamborghini. It wasn't a Cadillac. It wasn't even a Mercury. Uh, It was a Yugo. It was a Yugo. That thing is a go-kart with uh, aluminum walls, and uh, I, I mean, I think the fastest I went with that car was forty-five miles an hour. I was on Route fifteen in Merritt Parkway and people are just pat, beep 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 beep. And I'm like and I'm like, beep 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 beep, and everybody's just coming around me. I'm in the right side just saying, please Lord, don't let me the only thing fall apart before I get there. But a guy gave me the car to use. And I was thankful because God delivered me. I was able to get a job at a deli. I even saw Paul Newman there. And it was really cool because I was able to be there. And then lo and behold, in the fall of 1990, I was able to start Bible college. And God helped me through a very difficult time. He showed me that I needed to be vulnerable in order to find his strength. And I think for each one of us, we have to be reminded of that. We have to be reminded of that. The beauty of God. That when we're vulnerable, God is doing a work in us. I want to encourage you. I want you to just bow your heads for just a moment. Maybe there's a time in your life you felt bullied. Maybe it's the enemy who's bullying you right now. Or maybe it's something going on in your own life. You feel like someone's either gossiping against you or you're gossiping against someone else. Maybe you're the bully and you don't understand. I just want to pray for you and encourage you that if you're in a vulnerable state right now, wait on the Lord, sing his praises, sing a new song to the Lord, lift him up, focus on who he is and realize how awesome God is. Just uh, want to encourage you to continue to seek and chase after God. Maybe things are not happening the way you would hope for. Maybe it's in your life, at this church, whatever the case may be. Return to the Lord. He is the source of our strength. Our strength doesn't come in what we do. It's ultimately what he does. And I want to encourage you to do that this week. If you're in a vulnerable state, reach out. I'm in a vulnerable state in my life right now. My wife and I are depending on the Lord. We're trusting God. And we know that this is a place where God desires for us to be. So let me praise you. Father, I pray that your people would learn with each one of us, that your people, that we would learn to trust in you today. In Jesus' name.